So I turn around and look and see, you came back. Okay, I didn't know. I was kind of hard on you last week, especially you guys. Didn't know if y'all come back or not. So good to see you. Glad that you're here. And, uh, and so we're going to go back into our series, a little short series we're doing on the R word. And uh, kind of kept it a secret last week, but cat's out of the bag now. The R word is responsibility. It's a word that, uh, you know, we'd rather just call it the R word because we don't really like to use it a lot, especially when it relates to us. Of course, we want to use it for everybody else. We want you to be responsible. You know, when it's time for you to do something for me, I want you to be responsible. When you need me to do something for you, well, if I don't get a better offer in the next couple of days, I might be there. You know, that's kind of the attitude we get sometimes. Everybody has responsibility, though most people don't want it yet. We all want the other person to have it in our lives. Where we're at in our church church 2911, where we are in our church and and in our growth process and in the development process of becoming the church that God wants us to be, we've got to have some people, not the people that have the R in their life, because all of us have that, but some people that accept that R. You see, uh, I was telling um, some of of the people that uh, have have asked, want want to be involved in leadership, had a meeting with some of those last week, and I was t- telling them, you know, we, we will have every Sunday at Church 2911, we'll have tourists show up, you know, people that just kind of come in and check it out, you know, kind of look around, see what things look like, say, oh, that's cute, oh, that's pretty, that's nice, those kind of things. But, but you can't rely on tourists to build a church. You can't rely on tourists to, to build a ministry. You've got to have people that are committed. You've got to have people that are set. The, the things that I'm speaking of here in uh, these, these messages, uh, this short little series on the R Word, are some things that are very important to the future of our church because they're important to the commitment level of those who are involved in the leadership. And, and they're important to the church in that way because we've got to have these things because this is who we are. We can't just say we're one thing on Sunday, say amen to the preacher, and then live something else on Monday through Saturday. And in your family, in your home, like I said, this is why it's important to the church because the world is what, but in your family and in your home, these aren't just truths to help you build a good church. These are truths to help you build a good family, good relationships, a good marriage, to be better parents, to be better children as well. Yeah, uh, we ha- ex- even have responsibility as children. And I'm talking about, you know, uh, me at my age, I have responsibility as a child as well as a parent and a grandparent and, and a friend and a pastor. I, I mean, I, we've got responsibility all over the place. And, and these truths are truths that will help us with all of those relationships, not just building a great church, but, but I'm telling you that, you know, that this was, this is where it began in my heart, where we, where me and God began building these sermons. It really began with a desire of, of God help us as a church become who we're supposed to be. But, but the truth of it is, is that it goes way beyond that. It's not just about making us a better church. It's about making you a better person, making you a better Christian, a better parent, a better grandparent, a better mom, a better dad, a better spouse, a better uh, boyfriend, girlfriend, friend, neighbor, coworker, whatever it is. And all of these truths that God gives us for our responsibilities are for those things. You may have heard me say this some time ago. It's been a while since I said it. So let me say it again for those who haven't heard me say it. And you've been around just a little while and you haven't heard me say this because it's been a while. But grace is free. Somebody say amen. Somebody say, can somebody say praise God? Grace is free. I mean, everybody gets grace. But the question is, you know, you know what they ask you when, you know, when you go through the drive-thru? You know what they ask you? Don't you, you order a hamburger, then what do they say? Do you want, <laughs> you got it, don't you? Do you want fries with that? In the same way. You know, grace is free. And so you come to church and say, oh, man, 
thank God for grace. You show up and you want grace. And then God now says, okay, that's free. Do you want some blessings with that? Do you want the dream with that? Do you want all the rest of it? Grace is free. You've got eternal salvation given to you, laid in your lap. You can have it. You don't have to do a thing for it. But don't you want some blessings with it? Don't you want your life to be meaningful? And don't, don't you want all of your relationships? Don't you want your marriage, your family, your future, your finances? Don't you want all those things to, to fit and to work and, and to all add up and, and, to, and to be the awesome thing that God, then you got to ha- take care of the responsibilities that God has given you in those areas of your life if you want those things. Grace is free. We all get to go. Amen? We all get to go. But do you want some blessings with that? So we're, in case you haven't realized with the color back here, I told, I told Mike in an email back to him, yeah, that's fine with me because I don't have to look at pink all day long like y'all are going to have to look at the pink. But we're going to talk to ladies this morning. Wives, moms, ladies of all ages, we're going to talk about your responsibility. Let's have a word of prayer and let's let God minister to us today. God, I love you and I thank you, Lord, that you have given us beautiful, awesome, wonderful, free grace, Lord, just because of your love and your, your mercy, God, you've given to us. I just thank you for that. And I just ask you, Lord, to help us now to look beyond that and, God, uh, decide that we want more than that. God, we want more than just grace and, and eternal life. One day, we want blessings right now. We want miracles right now. We want good things right now. We want honorable things. We want all all the things that you say that you dream for us, God, the the thoughts that you have for us, thoughts that you say are higher than our thoughts and ways that are higher. God, I just pray, God, that you would help us, Lord, fulfill that, God, and and not shirk the responsibility, but to move into it, God, and to accept it, to embrace it, to enjoy it, God, to, to love the fact that you called us to a place of responsibility in Jesus' name, and everybody said, "Amen." Last week, you remember I told you uh, I, I kind of related uh, the field goal kicker at the end of the game. You know, he he gets to go out. You know, they're down by a couple of points, a couple of seconds left on on the clock, and I, you know, said that's what the field goal kicker lives for. Well, I can tell you, there's a bunch of weenies in the second service. I can tell you that there's a bu- there's a bunch of weenies there because I ask about softball players and a lot of. Well, finally got several to raise their hand. I said, I said, okay, the game's on the line. You're down by two runs. Bases are loaded into the, uh, the last, the bottom of the last inning and, uh, two outs. And, and how many of you want to go up and bat and, and the game being, you know what? Nobody raised their hand in that whole second service. So, uh, you know, I'm, maybe you're glad I didn't ask you that question, you know, but I was, I got to play golf this week, you know, and I was, I was thinking about, uh, uh my game's not really good, you know, but, uh, you know, I was thinking about it and I always start out a whole lot better than I end up. You know, uh, and I always start out, you know, thinking I'm going to be, but as I was standing over the wall, I kept thinking about those things over and over and over about that thought about, about how wanting to be able to, to, to be the person that's going to make it happen. Ladies, let me tell you something. I hope you get that kind of a, um, you know, kind of a spirit about you also that says, I want to be the lady. I want to be the woman. You know, we say be the man, you know, I want to be the woman. That brings this to pass in my life, in my family, in my kids, in my spouse, in my, in my spouse to be when I get married. I want to be the woman. I don't want my family having to find somebody else to teach them how to do some of these things. I don't want my family. I want to be the woman. I want to be the one that does that. Now, last week, uh, we talked, uh, talked to men, and, and we used uh, the story, the life story of King Ahab as basically as a parable. I kind of used it as a parable to teach you a lot of truths, to let you see them. And, and I, I think part of that is because, I think, I think the reason God led me to that is, is partly because we men 
Okay, come on. I'm a man, so I can say this without you getting mad at me because you might be mad at me for telling your wife this about you or if you're married. But we men, we kind of, if we're not careful, it's so easy for us to get this attitude of, well, what's in it for me? You know, it's almost like God can speak out of heaven and tell us this has to be done. And sometimes we still want to say, well, what's in it for me, God? It's like we got to have that, and so that's why we had to see the picture last week of why. And, and I don't know if God is saying, well, women aren't quite like that, and so all i got to do is i just got to tell them here's the truths. And so this morning I don't have a parable. We're actually going to the book of Titus and just going to talk about some truths of responsibility. And I've got quite a few verses of Scripture we've got to read here, so I want to read through the whole chapter. And I think it's, it's just a few verses, but I want to read through the whole chapter. We're going to back up and look at two verses, uh, three verses in particular. But um, I, I just want to read through this because, once again... Some t- uh, let, me, let me just say this, and, and, and if I'm not careful, I'm really going to get bogged down here. But I've got to say this, is that there, there, are too many, there are too many things going on out there in the Christian world telling us that, hey, get, get saved, get right with God, and everything's going to be okay. You need to get saved because th- all your problems will be all over. You know, there'll, there'll never be any more struggles. There'll never be any, there's too much of that being said out there in the world. I, I remember passing, I went to Jack's to get a, a biscuit this morning and passed uh, Evangel, and uh, on their sign it says something about strong trials bring strong faith and I thought you know we don't hear that message anymore do we that we don't embrace the trial because no we want to get this trial off and get this problem off us and sometimes we don't realize you know and and uh, man I, I could I could hear uh, you know listen I, I grew up you know 70s and and I remember you know when Alabama was really in its heyday and they won all those games and won some championships and all that and man then we went through a long dry spell we finally won one you know right back there in 93 you know we kind of and uh, then, but you know we went through another dry spell and that and so I've been kind of used to this up and down and, and and then I realized you know some of the kids that are coming along now they're just I mean my son you know he's 27 years old I believe something like that I forget exactly Exactly, 27, I think, you know, and, and you know, he just got into, he just got into college football last year. I mean, for the first time he cared, you know, and it's like, man, his first year to actually like college football and Alabama wins a national championship. And, you know, and so, you know what, he, he's spoiled. And this is where we get to, we get to a place of being spoiled that, you know, and I, I'm not talking about Alabama football anymore. I'm talking about in our spiritual walk, we get to a place of being spoiled. And everything is, is laid out for us. And, and, and sometimes that happens because grace is free. And God gives us grace, and then we kind of get spoiled. Man, I got grace, and that's awesome. And we just start expecting our families to start all working out. We start, we start to think that all of our financial problems are going to just fall in line because, hey, grace is free. And we get spoiled to the fact, and we don't remember and realize that, no, we've got something to do with, with this. If we're going to have blessing on top of the grace... If we're going to have the icing on top of the cake, if we're going to have the dessert at the end of the meal, then we're going to have to do something to, to, uh, to receive it, to accept it, to bring it into our lives. And there are, and we don't read a lot of these things. And so that's why I want to bring this chapter, whole chapter to you, like, like we did last week with the, in Ephesians, read uh, part of two chapters, almost a, a full chapter there. I want to bring this to you because we, we gloss over this. We look beyond it. We say this isn't important because... It's not the good stuff. So let's, let's word, I, I want you to see this. Let's read this word so that we can see all of this responsibility here. You must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Now Paul's telling Titus this. You must teach what is in accord. And he says, teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love and endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. They, then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, 
to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters and everything to try to please them, not to talk back to them. My goodness, even slaves, you know, back in the days, and, and there's slavery still around today, but back in the days where slavery was rampant, I mean, even slaves had responsibility. I mean, God even expected things of slaves as well, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no. Can everybody say no? No. You know, we, we don't know how to say that anymore. Now, we can say no to responsibility. We don't know how to say no to ourselves. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all of wickedness and, and to uh, purify for himself a people that his very own, eager to do what is good. These, then, are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not, do not let anyone despise you. Okay, here's, here's the background of what's happened. You know, Paul went around starting churches everywhere. He'd go preach somewhere, and people would get saved, so they would start a church. That's kind of how this building got here. They had a tent revival here uh, back in the, uh, uh, I don't know, late 60s, something like that, uh, early 70s. And, and a lot of people get, came to know Jesus Christ, and, and they built a building, and they started a church. And that's what Paul was doing. He was going all across every part of the world he could go to. The Holy Spirit was leading him. And he got to the island of Crete, and he established a church there because a lot of people got saved. And he left Titus behind. He left Titus, and that's what this is. This is a letter to Titus telling Titus, okay, here's the things you're going to have to do. I've, I've got to go on and preach some more places and, and get some more people saved. Let's start some more churches. And here's what you're going to have to do while you're there in Crete. And he reminds him about something. He reminds him how evil the people on Crete are. And, and not that they're evil as far as, as like going to do things to hurt you. Like, you know, you're worried about going into some of the bad areas of town, downtown Birmingham, and projects in some of those areas, maybe necessarily. It's not that, but he's talking about the, these people are just they're, they're, just, they're just wicked. They're just, uh, they, they just don't live anything like the life that God intended them to live. As a matter of fact, in chapter 1, uh, verse 12 and 13, Paul quotes uh, one of their philosophers and says, even one of their own prophets has said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith. Okay, when you, when you come into contact with something that is so opposite of what God is wanting uh, in someone's life, then you know what you're supposed to do as a preacher? You're supposed to rebuke them sharply. That's what he said. You're going to have to rebuke them sharply. You can't say, well, you know, this is how God would really prefer that you handle this situation in your marriage. No. He said they're gluttons, they're evil, they're, they're lazy brutes. He said you're going to have to rebuke them sharply, meaning, meaning that you're going to have to draw a fine line and say, look, this is God's way. And already some of the things that we read in chapter 2, you know, you probably could say, I just don't know if I agree with that. Well, you know, it's not up to us. We're not going to vote today. Okay, listen. We're not going to vote today on whether God's word is really true or not. Amen? 
Thank God, right? We're not going to, it's not a popularity contest. You don't have a little, you know, a little controller in your hand where you can say A, B, C, you know, where, yeah, I think this is really good or I'm, I think this is really bad or I'm just really not sure about it. No, we don't vote on whether God's word is true. God's word stands all by itself, whether I believe it or not. You and I, we could decide today in our own minds that God's word is not true and these things don't apply to me anymore, but that doesn't mean it isn't true because God's word will stand all by by itself. And so these things that we've already read are the things that you and I have to live our lives by. And so let's look at what he says to the women. First of all, the first thing he really says that I'll bring your attention to in verse 3 is, is uh, he, he's talking to Titus about the women. He says, likewise teach, teach the older women. Now tell me, what, what has Titus got that he can teach older women? I mean, you know, some of you men, you know, you know, 20-something, 30-something-year-old men. Tell me, what could you, if you did a class for older women, what could you teach them? You know, that's the, that's the first thing that came to my mind. I thought, what in the world is he telling Titus to teach these older women? You know, I can just see, I remember uh, when we pastored the Gardendale Church of God back in the back in the 90s, uh, just across a, an empty field was a, was a lady that attended our church and she was in her early nineties. And I mean, she still did pretty much everything for herself. And, uh, we, my, my wife went over, David went over one day and, uh, Sister Graves, that's, that was her name. She was painting her porch and she was sitting down, you know, painting her porch and, you know, going in between, you know, all the little things. And, and, uh, she was painting, David was talking to her and they were just, and she finally said, Sister Graves, why don't you come over and sit down and take a break and let me paint for you? And she turned up and looked at my wife and she said, why, honey, I'd paint circles around you you know what in the world can you tell so i mean this lady she she didn't need anybody to paint for her you know she didn't need anybody she's i paint circles around you what what could titus teach these older women so he says likewise teach the now now here's something else you gotta you gotta understand uh i, I don't want to offend you kyla but back in those days you'd be you'd be get you'd be moving on into middle age Back in those days, I mean, yeah, some of you, uh, I mean, you know, just just a few years, you know, Jamie, you're you're getting there also. I mean, y'all, you guys are moving on into close to middle age, and I meant pretty much anybody older than them. You're an old woman. He's talking. He's talking about people your age. I'm, you know, I don't call out the rest of your names because it'll probably make you mad, wouldn't I? You're. I mean, we're not talking about eighty year olds here. We're talking about thirty somethings. That's who he's saying. Teach the older women. He's talking about 30-somethings, okay? So I want you to get this context right here and understand. He's not. This is not what he's about to say and what we're about to look at. These first few things are not about 80-year-old people. Not Sister Graves, 93 years old. No, this is about 30-somethings, okay? And even maybe some later 20-somethings. They didn't look at life the way you and I did because they didn't live that long. They didn't have this middle age thing, you know, where you were young and then you're middle age and we keep moving this middle age farther and farther and farther until finally one day you get a, an envelope in the mail from uh, AARP, you know, inviting you to be a member, you know, whatever. And then all of a sudden you're not middle aged anymore. No, at the 30 something ladies are the ones that he's talking to right here. And what he says is he says, teach them this, teach them to be reverent the way they live, not to be slanders or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Uh, then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Okay, three things, first of all, that he tells, teach the older women. You know, and, and, uh, and the first one is be reverent in the way they live. Now, not, not, don't be reverent. He's not saying be reverent in church. He's not saying be quiet in church. He's not saying be holy in church. Be reverent in the way they live their lives. 
That's not a Sunday morning for an hour and a half. That's every day of the week. I'm talking to 30-somethings today. Okay, and the reason you're going to do this is because you've got to be able to teach this. The reason you need to know this. I'm talking to 30-somethings and older today. This is, this is who Paul is telling Titus he's got to be talking to, is you need to be reverent in the way you are living your lives. Not just reverent when you come together. Not just reverent when the Word of God is read. Not just reverent when somebody says, let's bow and pray. But reverence, you know, here, we, we have a famine today in this world of ladiness. We need some ladies again. We have some ladies that know how to, how to, how to act and, and, and carry themselves and, and to show what Christ-likeness is inside of a woman's body. To show them. This is what he is talking about. This, and this is a, a message that every woman in every church in the, in the whole world needs to hear today. To be reverent in the way you live your life. And secondly, he says to be self, I mean, to be slanderous and gossips. Don't be slanderers. Don't, don't be a slanderous and don't be, don't be a gossip. And, and, and listen, uh, we can get into the definition of what these things mean. Here, here's what he's saying though, is because, and I've got this, I've kind of got this theology of my own here as well, is that there are ten times at least, ten times as many ways to disobey God as there were back in the days that they lived. I mean, you know, if you just look at technology, you think, my goodness, you know, if we're going to start listing all the ways that you shouldn't do this and shouldn't do that, slanderous and gossip and, and those things. And if you look at the words, it's just talking about doing things that would, that would tear down someone else's character. And you know what? You can use the truth and still tear down someone else's character. You can use the truth and you can gossip. And so what he's telling you 30-somethings and older, okay, what he's telling those of you who aren't real, real, real young ladies, let me say it that way so you don't get offended at me, is he's saying you cannot, you've got to be very cautious about your communication and make sure your communication is not tearing anybody else down. And then he says not given to, uh, uh, to a, a lot of wine or, or addiction to wine. And, and you, here's, here's the thing we've got to remember, and, and I always have to qualify this because some people say, well, they drank wine. Yeah, they drank wine, but they didn't have Coke. They didn't have sweet tea. Thank God we didn't have to live in those days, right? They didn't have the, they drank wine because that's what they had. Here's the difference though. What he is saying is they should not be involved in recreational drinking. You need to understand it that way, and then you'll understand what he's saying. Don't drink wine for the sake of drinking wine, getting the buzz and those things. But he's saying they should, that's what they should not be doing. They should not be uh, involved in recreational drinking. But today there are, there are literally dozens of things that you can become addicted to and all of them aren't chemical addictions. Okay, can I give you a little rule of thumb about an addiction? Whenever you say, I've got to, you're addicted. I got to get home and watch my show. You're addicted. I can't do this. I've got to do so and so. You're addicted. I've got, I've got, I've got. If you say, if you have to do something, that's an addiction. If you can't live without it, that's an addiction. You know, uh, just like somebody says, I, I got to get outside and smoke a cigarette or I'm, you know, I'm going to go crazy. You know, they're addicted to the nicotine. And in the same way, whatever it is in your life, you know, you can be addicted to something. It doesn't have to come out of a cigarette pack. It doesn't have to come out of a bottle. You can be addicted to a lot of other things in your life. And what he's saying is you're not supposed to be addicted. We could go to the scripture also where it says we're not to be under the control of anything, but we're to be under the control and the influence and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why you're not supposed to be under any other kind of addiction because our control is not supposed to be about those things. It's supposed to be about the Holy Spirit. Okay, and so here's what he says. So that they can teach the younger women. Okay, so now, so now we're, talking, we're, talking to the, we're talking to Titus who's going to talk to the older women about some things and he's telling the older women what to teach the younger women. So this is important to the older women to hear and these next few things are important for the younger women to hear because these are the things that 
the younger women need to know. Okay? And so first thing he says is teach, uh, teach, teach them what is right. Teach them what is right. You know, because this world is not going to teach them what is right. I mean, look at it. These, la- these, ladies, these ladies aren't teaching our young ladies today what is right. What are the messages that they're getting from here? They're not getting the message that, that they need to hear. And where are they going to get it? They're not going to get it on, on uh, change channels. And they'll get, no, they're not going to get it on another channel. I don't even know these ladies' names. I know one of the, I know one of the actresses' names, but I don't, know the, I don't even know their, their characters' names. Uh, they're not going to get this. You know, change the channel. It, it, there's another actress going to tell them the same thing in a different way. It's not that this is, oh, the biggest and worst show that there is on television, reruns and movies happening uh, that are still coming out. It's not that this is the worst, but uh, this is just maybe one that comes to mind very quickly because, it, because of the title, because of the lifestyle. I mean, just the title, just the title. I mean, come on, older ladies, 30-somethings. You know, I mean, when you say, I got to get home and watch Sex in the City, mm, mm. I gotta get home and watch. You know, I mean, when you say that, I mean, for, for your, what are you saying to a twenty-something? What are you saying to a fifteen-year-old little girl who is trying to figure out what it is like to be a Christian woman? We gotta be careful with the words that we use. We gotta be careful with the things that we, that we that we embrace into our lives, and even the things that we open ourselves up to, because there are a lot of others that are following after us. We have to teach them what is right, and then secondly. He says, train them in their responsibilities. And he talks here mostly, he's really talking about their, their family responsibilities. Teach them to love their husbands and teach them to love their children. Now this word here, love, uh, uh, and we're going to talk in, uh, in a couple of Wednesday nights, we're going to be talking about what, what love is supposed to be like in a marriage. But here he's t- he doesn't use that word that we use, agape. He use, uses philos. And this philos love is, is the word that we, where we get Philadelphia from, brotherly love, you know, that kind of a love. And here, here's what it means. It, it's not an emotional love. It, it's not a sexual love, you know, something that your hormones get going. It is a brotherly love, meaning it is an affectionate love that acts out. You know, what is brotherly love? I mean, you don't, you don't just sit around and have brotherly love. You act out. That's what brotherly love is. That's what philos is, is you act it out. And so this is, this is what you, you older ladies are supposed to be teaching the younger ladies, is how to act out your love to your husband. You know, don't just keep it to yourself and hit him over the head when he says something stupid, you know. I mean, you're supposed to act out your love. And sometimes it's not easy. But you're supposed to act out the affection that you have for your husband. And, and also to love your kids. You know what? Some days that's not easy to love your kids either. Come on, some of you moms say amen. It's not, you know, or like David said, you know, I'm always in love with Rick, but I'm not always in like, <laughs> you know. I mean, sometimes it's that way. And so to affectionately, and, I, and here's, here's the problem. I, I think this is the problem that we have in this society of today, this culture that we live in today, is that we don't really understand what loving our kids means anymore. Because we think loving our kids means buy them everything they would ever want. I mean, that's what we've got is we've got moms on both ends of the spectrum. We need some moms to come back to the middle. Well, how are they going to get back to the middle? They need some grandmoms to, to say, hey, listen, this is what love means. I mean, you've either got moms who are, who are doting on every little thing that their kid wants. I mean, they're spoiling their little brats. I mean, their little precious ones. Every single day, giving them every little thing. Or you've got the moms who have no earthly idea what their kids are up to. 
You know, they don't know where they're at. They don't know what, what, you know, what wall they're climbing up. They don't know, you know, uh, what they're tearing apart. And then when they grow up and they become teenagers, they still don't know anything about them, don't know where they're going, don't know who their friends are, don't know any of those things. And we've got the women on both ends of the spectrum. And we, we need some moms and we need some grandmoms to, to, to rise up and say, wait, wait a minute. Let me, let me teach you. And, and don't wait till they, till they get to the place that they've spoiled their brats or their, uh, their little kids or, or that they've, uh, they've, uh, totally ignored their kids and they don't know how to connect to them anymore. They need to be taught right now. I mean, th- these, these young ladies over here that don't have, don't have kids yet, they need to be taught now. This is, this is, the, this is the place, this middle of the road. You, you can't go too far here. You can't go. This is the way you love your kids because love is about correction too. It's about acting affectionately. You say, well, they won't listen to me. They, they, yeah, they're going to listen to you. You, don't, you. you might not think they will, but they're going to listen to you. Let's, let's go on. Encourage them. To be self-controlled. Uh, I don't have time to say all these. Self-controlled though. Saying no. Do you know how to say no to yourself? You can say no to me. If I ask you to teach the nursery this week, you can say no, right? Can you say no to you? Can you say, no, this is something I need to do. And so I'm going to say no to what I want to do because this is what I need to do. Teach them to be self-controlled, to be pure. And specifically, this means a moral purity. And more specifically, look at, you can look at the word. It means sexual purity. And there is, a, there is a famine of sexual purity in our land as well. And how do we turn it back around? We're going to turn it back around when we have older women stepping back into the place. And I, I'm not talking about aged women. I mean, women that have been around a while, when we have women of 30 years old who, who have started raising their families and things, and they've come through those teens and 20-somethings and, and maybe made some mistakes and whatever, when, when those women begin to step back into the role that God intended them to be in and start talking to the younger women under them and say, wait a minute, that's when it's going to turn back around. Busy at home. Now, King James says keepers at home. That doesn't mean that you need to, we need to keep you at home. It's almost impossible today. To live on one salary. I mean, you know, you know, unless one of you is a brain surgeon or something, it's almost impossible to live on one salary today. I mean, that's just the truth. And so it's not saying that, I mean, because even in these days, women worked outside the home. They just didn't get paid for it. They worked in the garden. They worked in the field. They still, they worked. They just didn't get paid for it. You know, I mean, they still work. So, but what it, what he means is keepers at home is one is the nature of a woman. The nature of a female is to nest. Is to build a nest, is to create the nest, is to continue. I mean, it drives us men crazy, doesn't it? I mean, because they're always wanting to, you know, and the problem isn't that they want to change the nest, it's they want to have the ideas and they want to tell how it's done, but they want us to do it, right? They want us to go get the new twigs and bring them to the nest. They want us to rearrange them and move, you know, this twig over to this side of the room and this twig, and they want to keep doing that and doing that. And we don't understand that because we're men, you know, hey, we, you know, we, we just, you know, as long as we've got a recliner and a TV, we're fine for the rest of the evening, you know? That's all we need. But it's, it's women's nature. And so this is what, this is what God is telling through, God is telling to the older women. You need to teach them how to nest, how to be keepers at home. Look at Proverbs chapter one, uh, 14, verse 1. The wise woman builds her house, but with her own hands, the foolish one tears hers down. And I can't tell you how many times I've sat as a pastor and, I, and I've watched me, men too, men and women literally tear their marriages apart, tear their homes down, destroy their kids that, that they say they love, but they just, they just don't even realize what they're doing. You know why? Because we need some women to step back up and to train and to teach. Oh, but they won't listen to me. They won't listen to me, we say. We need to teach them to be kind. You remember we used to call them the fairer sex? 
And we weren't just talking about their beauty on the outside. We are talking about their beauty on the inside as well. Kindness. Because there's a famine of laziness in this country today. Subject to their husbands. Oh, this is not, doesn't mean what you think it means. You see, because a lot of times when we say subject to the husbands, and we read over there in Ephesians where we read last week, is we see that as being related to the way that kids are supposed to re- respond to my leadership is the way that my wife... No, no, no. That's not what it means. We, re- we relate that wrong, and we think it means we think it means a submission like, oh, yes, master. What? No, that's not what it means. It's more like our teams around here. You know how, how we have skippers. We don't, we don't have bosses and leaders, and that's, that's the way a marriage is supposed to be. There's not a boss. There's not a leader. It's it's in that way. It'd be more. It'd be more like looking at my role. I mean, the way you know, the way you submit. You've submitted yourself this morning to the word that God is speaking through me by just sitting here and listening. You're submitting yourself. You know, and I and I'm the pastor. Now, does that mean that I am the smartest one in the building? No, my brother would say if y'all heard him speak under his voice back just a second ago. I'm not the smartest one in the building. Does that mean I understand more about the Word of God than anybody else in the building? <laughs> not necessarily either. I mean, does it mean that, that I've got a more direct line to the throne room and that I could get a message to God and back quicker than you can? No, that's not what it means. You know what it's all about? Here it is, simply. Here it is. Let me tell you. It's about responsibility and order. That God has an order about everything. And it's about responsibility. And see, here's the thing is, I am responsible as pastor, I'm responsible. You know, if it goes in the wrong direction, you know, it's kind of like fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. Hey, if something's going the wrong direction and I don't correct it, you know, maybe if you do something wrong, God's going to talk to you the first time. But if I don't correct it as pastor, I say, whoa, whoa, you can't do that anymore. I was talking to this, I was talking to a friend this week about, uh, about a church that I pastored. And we had a man that was, he was following, if somebody wasn't white, he would follow, if somebody that attended church wasn't white, he would follow them in the restroom and he would tell them why they couldn't come to church there. You know what? We had to, we had to address that man, you know, because God's talking to him the first time. But if it happens the second time and I haven't addressed it, God's coming to talk to me because I'm the pastor. I, I have the responsibility. And so looking, looking at the, the relationship in the marriage, it's the same way. The man has the responsibility. Now, ladies, you mess up. God's coming after you too. But, it, but if the man isn't trying to pray through this thing and work through this thing and do this, God's going to talk to him and God's going God's to question him just as much as he does you. And you know what? You ladies, you don't have that responsibility to your husband that you're going to stand before God and give an account as much as he does for giving an account for the way he raises his own family and stands for his family and works for his family, and provides for his family. And because there is a, a greater responsibility, that's, it's, it's about order. It's about responsibility. It's not about lordship. It's not about headship. It's not about being a boss. It is about order and responsibility. And this is, a, this is, this is one we, you know, we'd like to take our big magic marker and just scratch out and say, well, that just doesn't work here in our culture today. But have you ever heard the saying that anything with two heads is a monster? You know, have you ever seen a marriage that had two heads and they just banged against one another all the time? Boy, it was a monster. But when they understand, when both parties understand what their relationship is and the responsibilities to one another and the love that they have to have for one another and the sacrifice, see, we haven't even talked about sacrificing and the sacrificial attitude that has to be there. When two 
two parties come together in a marriage and understand all of those things, then there's not any banging and there's not a Lord and there's not a boss and there's not a slave and there's not a servant. There, there's, there's a union of one because two have come together as one. There's this union that is there and it's beautiful and it's harmonious. And the world doesn't teach that. Where are they going to learn it? When the ladies return to the place God has called them to be. To speak to the younger ladies and to teach them and to explain to them, I'm not a slave. That's not who I am. But I'm also not a boss. When they return to that place, and you would say, come on, Jamie, you would say, but they won't listen to me, so you don't, that's your excuse. To shirk. The re- this is responsibility. Now, I don't know at what age, but here's how I read this, okay? And, and ladies and you husbands and you uh, dads and you young men listen to me in this as well. Here's how I read this. You read all of this chapter. Here's, here's how I read this. is Every one of us has responsibility to those who are younger than us. Even if you're 16 years old today, you have responsibility for your little brothers and sisters. You have responsibility to live a life in front of them and not give, not give them an excuse to say, well, my big brother didn't do it that way. All of us have responsibility. And you say, well, they, don't, they won't listen to me, so I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't have to do that because they won't listen to me. Can I ask you a question? After service, you go out the door. You're standing there on the... On the porch, stoop, concrete just before you go down the steps door opens right behind you and a four year old tears out headed toward the road do you say well I would call out for them to stop but they probably wouldn't listen to me is that what you would do? you'd be screaming your head off wouldn't you? because you see oh but they're just enjoying themselves and the beauty of the day God has made they're not really doing anything to harm themselves. I mean, they're, they just hear the cars down there and the horns, and they hear a dog barking across the road. So they're not really hurting anyone. So, and that's really their mom's responsibility to stop them. Is that what you would do? But then why do we do that spiritually? Why do we see, come on, ladies, why do we see our younger women running headlong into traffic? And we know. It doesn't matter what they think life is about. We know the train wreck that's about to happen in their life. And we say nothing. How can can we do that? I don't know how we started it, but we've become so adept at it. We now do it without any thinking whatsoever. We can pass off that responsibility without without even thinking about it. Without losing a wink of sleep every night. That's got to change. Can I ask all the ladies, would you come join me in the uh, prayer area this morning? I want you to come first and make some room behind you because I want your dads, boyfriends, husbands to come stand behind you. Come on, ladies, squeeze in a little bit, a little closer to me. If y'all can come together as well. Come into the middle over here if you ladies will. That's all. Just kind of, kind of. Guys, come on around if you will. Just get in behind them, especially if you're connected with somebody here. Just go ahead and stand behind them. You're, uh, 
your job as a man is uh, going to be much easier when they do their job as a lady. It's going to be a lot easier on you. So, man, pray for them. Pray that they do a better job with you, with the kids and all that. Now, why? I, what's in it for me? No, I, it's not really a, I'm not really asking that question, what's in it for me, but here's the why. One reason. And it says that there at the end of that, those verses that we read about the women, so that God's word is not maligned. I mean, that's wise because you're a child of God. And when you don't do what God's called you to do, you know, it's, kind of, it's like you're running around with Christian written on the back of your shirt, you know, and you're, everybody in town sees you as a Christian. And when you don't do what God's called you to do, people are saying, that's what a Christian is. That's what he's saying. So that, do this so that God's word is not maligned. I mean, it's like if you're going to wear the T-shirt, then live, live up to the responsibility of being a woman of God. You take the hand of a lady standing next to you, pray for one another. That's your responsibility. Lift one another up. Jamie's going to lead us in the final song. Don't start singing until you finish praying.